And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. race is on and could we have seen the car that's going to do a lot of winning for the first time today very probably the new mercedes w11 hit the track at silverstone for the first time with changes at the front middle and rear according to tech boss james allison so is this the car that will make it seven on the trot or will it be the first mercedes to be defeated in what feels like living memory i'm your host ed straw and joining me today is scott mitchell and we'll also be hearing gary anderson's verdict on the car later but first, Scott, it's roles reversed for us today compared to your last two appearances because you're back at HQ. I'm out in Austria for the Alpha Tori launch. So your tour of doing podcasts for the race from major European capitals continues. I think I think this is this is four in the last four appearances, isn't it? Yeah, I'm making a good go of it. I've uh, I've become well, I wouldn't say in, I'm not international, am I? I'm continental. Uh, Stockholm, uh, near to Milan, and then Paris, and now yeah, at the uh, the race HQ in in London. So I'm. Uh, I'm getting around a bit. I'm making good use of uh, of uh, you know access around around Europe, which I am a, a big fan of, as you know. Let's not get political, Scott. Let's not get political. We'll, we'll keep it to Formula One. Well, I should say Mercedes isn't the only car that's uh, that's broken cover uh, today. We will we've seen the Alfa Romeo and we will be seeing the the Alfa Tauri at the time of recording. But we're going to talk just about Mercedes in this podcast, and we'll give separate podcasts to the other two teams. So I think it's important they get their own attention rather than being a bit of an afterthought. So this one is all about Mercedes. Now, Scott, at first glance, this is all very Mercedes, isn't it? It's it's a car that doesn't sort of instantly the first second you see it look massively different but there's loads of detail changes and that they've they've done a lot of work kind of everywhere in terms of changing the car so it's it's kind of standard mercedes isn't it and i mean that in the best possible way yeah well when you've operated at the level that they've operated at over the last few seasons it's kind of if it ain't broke don't fix it and what they're what they're really good at, at mercedes is just these um these sort of iterations of a, of a top class design and we've seen over the last two years how they've morphed into you know, one of, if not the best all-round uh, chassis on the grid and, and and certainly the the best all-round package. And there was that engine advantage that gave them the edge in the first few years of this, this regulation on the engine side, the V6 turbo hybrid era. But their prowess as a, as a, as a designer of top-class race-winning and title-winning chassis has, has really come on, on strong. And the 2020 car, the, the W11, is, is just a further evolution of that. I, I quite like... Um, I quite like the way Merck have managed it. Really, I don't. You know, launch events are all well and good, but it's as we saw with Red Bull earlier this week. It's just proper, isn't it? When you just get down to to meaningful running with a shakedown straight out the out the box, and you go to to Barcelona with with a few things ticked off already. 
Um, and the, and the way they've sort of presented the new car, it's it's clear it's an evolution. The rules have stayed the same, but there are still areas that they've they've looked to improve. You know, reinforcing the front end and the work that they've done with the with the side pods. It, considering the cooling problems that they had last year and the fact that they've had to make the radiator slightly larger, the fact that they've sort of still tried to go aggressive with the the side pods and the way that they um, the way that they're shaped, and the fact that they're talking about this um, adventurous suspension on uh, the rear of the car so still trying to find ways to to refine it because that's why mercedes has has set this unprecedented you know record-breaking run of of titles because they don't rest on their laurels yeah very much so and they're, they're extremely good technically at kind of setting the parameters of what they want to achieve and that's why the mercedes is always so consistent across the season when it has its bad weekends usually they're on outlier tracks or in outlier conditions i guess austria last year was that was the worst one and that was when they were caught out with the cooling just as a as an aside that was that was a consequence of basically for want of a better word some finger trouble um well before the season started where some of the values for setting the uh setting the cooling demand were, were done incorrectly and their, their fail safes which should have picked it up didn't pick it up and uh and yeah they ended up with the, the temperature probably about six degrees more than they could <laughs> they could cope with uh ambient wides in austria so it, it shows that even the best get it wrong but they'll have produced countermeasures and that's what makes this team so good they they react respond and uh to use a cliche come out stronger and that's that's i think what we're what we're seeing in this car and james allison's talked quite a lot about about the car already in terms of kind of changes front middle and back as it were so they clearly see it as a as a a big step forward and obviously because you have rule stability the big step forward is always it's in the detail isn't it it's in the aggregation of all these tiny little areas that that where you find improvements yeah absolutely and one of the things that i find really interesting whenever you hear people like james allison and andy cow the 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 powertrain's chief talk is that they're they're always talking about how important it is that Mercedes has this mindset that allows them to be uh, self-critical and then that makes them that puts them in in a position where they're able to to assess areas where they might have been weak before because it would be really easy to say well we've won the last six drivers and constructors titles so what we're doing seems to work and in an era of diminishing gains especially on the engine side but even in stable aero regulations as well it is also easy to sort of be be quite lazy for want of a better word it becomes harder to find those gains that's the whole point of the diminishing returns so you could take your foot off the gas and just sort of be a little bit less inventive and and try and and I guess not try quite as hard because it's it's harder to find the gains plus you're in front anyway so maybe you get tricked into thinking you don't need to find those gains as well because you're you're, you're going to be ahead and Mercedes has just never fallen into this this trap and I, I do think the the early signs of the W11 are, are just the, the best car on the grid getting better. Yeah absolutely and I think that culture in the team is really important not just the culture to be self-critical and really target the problems and make fixes but also just that desire to keep keep on keeping on for want of a better word i was at the ineos uh, principal partner uh, press conference at the start of the week on monday in london and toto wolf was asked well how do you motivate the team what's the target this year if it's just winning a seventh championship just as if it's an easy thing to do but he just sort of said that you know the appetite for winning there is is undimmed and that and that's how they that's how they do it by just going their own way and the other thing that's quite positive is we're not seeing 
gratuitous giant changes in the car just for the sake of it. They're continuing with the concept, tightened up the rear a lot. They've talked about some suspension changes in some areas to help with the, the aero side and in some areas to help with the, the overall performance. So there's there's loads of things, as well as just adding downforce on, which is what all teams usually do and certainly aim to do. You've just got this package that's that's further refined. Yeah, no, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, and sort of building on that point, I, if I if if I may, I, I just wanted to to, to read out a, a quick quick quote from Andy Cow um, from from today and from the launch of the, the Mercedes. Just giving you because I just think it gives a really good insight into that mindset. And, and uh, you know, you've spoken to to Andy and heard him speak plenty of times. I'm sure um, he's such a he's such a switched on guy, and he's so he's so genuine. And he just said basically. As I said before, it's that element of being self-critical. But he says keeping an open mind is at the core of the mindset. And Cal says you need to say, "Well, I've done that. It's going racing, but I know that I can get that material that's better. I know I can use that improved manufacturing process. I know that the capability of the machining centre is improved. Their tolerances can be lower. That 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 company in the country somewhere on the planet has developed a new coating that's better. And I know that if I bring all of that together, I can ultimately deliver a system that will be better than what I did before. And 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 isn't that just absolutely indicative of what mercedes does it just you look at right okay so we've won this many races this year or scored this many podiums or scored this many points won two titles again how do i how do we go better how do we do it so that when we go to to austria next year we're not having to to run the engine so conservatively we're back when back when they had that massive weakness with um at places like Monaco and Singapore, they didn't look at that and just say, "Oh well, you know, we won the title and we win every other race." It's right. How do we how do we adapt the philosophy and concept of the car so it's better on low speed circuits and that the downforce is better? They've looked at it this year, and James Allison talked about one of the big weaknesses last year, or one of the weaknesses um, was the fact that it was the the extra downforce they pursued with last year's car did give them a a sort of worse. Uh, I guess uh, the, the the drag offset for that downforce was worse than I think they really wanted. They didn't quite get the downforce in return. So they've worked really hard this year on making sure that there's more downforce, but trying to make it so that you don't quite have quite as much drag, even though you're adding lots more downforce on. So they're just really good at identifying areas that can be improved, even though you look on the the, 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 the surface of the 2019 season and think well that was absolutely amazing how can they top that that's why Merck are always on top they find ways to get better yeah and that's what they always do and, and they weren't entirely happy all the way through last year the car wasn't the best qualifier over the season particularly once they had the upgrade I think it was in Germany it was just a little bit harder to get it into the sweet spot as James Allison uh, explained it so that they had a car that was very often mighty on race day and used that pace to, to perfection but wasn't always going to be at the front in, in qualifying. And although that's the better way round for it to be, I think you'd much rather have that than what Ferrari often had, where they could get on the front row but not necessarily stay there and always be under pressure. But they want to add that qualifying performance as well uh, to, to the car. So there's, there's always things for them to gain. And they're, they're just great at zeroing in on the on the areas to improve, which is just, just what we, we like to see. Well, shall we take a brief break now and after that hear from Gary Anderson? And then we'll be back with Scott Mitchell shortly afterwards for a little bit more Mercedes chat. Well, as always, it's a great pleasure to be joined by Gary Anderson to give his technical evaluation of the new Mercedes. Recent times in Formula One, Gary, have been all about Mercedes. With rule stability, is there any reason to expect that to change in this season? Mercedes has definitely been the dominant force since 2014, since this hybrid rules came in. But, you know, when you're at the top, you know, everybody's shooting at you. So there is... 
reason to believe they've only got one way to go, um, and that's downhill a little bit. Uh, I'm sure they're trying to pull together that seventh world championship in, in succession, but every year it just gets harder and harder and harder, and the rules are stable this year, so the rest of the teams will be closing up that bit, or should be closing up that bit. There is you know, one set of optimal solutions to all the problems, um, and over the last six years, Mercedes have been closer to it than most. So the others will knock a, a little bit of time out of their problems um, by just developing the car a little bit more. And Mercedes just don't have that much room to go. So as I say, I mean, they'll be trying pretty hard to stay there. Others will be trying pretty hard to catch them up. Time will tell. I don't know, just sitting here right now, to be honest. Judging by the launch car, the front end seems relatively similar aero-wise. Are you expecting some changes there? Um, yeah, the, fr- the front of the car, launch car, it's always difficult again because the bits we see, the front wing assembly, the nose, um, the barge board area, all that stuff, it's its a bolt-on component. So that's the areas of development. The barge boards themselves has probably got the, the biggest return of uh, performance-related um, from anything. And, and Mercedes have changed the leading edge of their side pod to sort of accommodate this lower crash structure Rear, more rearward radiator intake duct, slightly higher radiator intake duct, increased coke bottle um, or increased uh, undercut on the leading edge of the side pod philosophy. So they've got some stuff there that will open some doors for them. And as James Allison says, they haven't really, they've opened those doors, but they haven't gone through them yet. So there will be developments in that area. And they are very good at responding. So I think one of the things we've got to wait for is, is how the car hits the ground because that will be the initiative for uh, for any development. If you hit the ground and you're not performing the way you have, you think you should, that's one problem. You have to go back and think about why that is. If you hit the ground and you're performing the way you think you should, but the others are performing better, then that's a completely separate problem. And you have to look at it differently and come up with different solutions. So the first test is all about that. Just finding your, your happy medium of, is my car performing as we calculated? Or is it underperforming? Or has the others just done a better job? Uh, we'll know that in a... In a probably just over a week's time so interesting times your favorite topic suspension geometry what do you make of the mercedes in that regard suspension geometry in the front you know all we've heard for years is criticism of pirelli tires um you know they overheat they do this they do that um it's just one of those sort of situations where the tire has a working window and you have to drive the car within it every tire is the same every tire has a working window if the tyre is, is too robust, it just doesn't have the grip. And Pirelli has a good balance between grip and being robust. Um, but from a car point of view, if you don't have a sensible suspension geometry, you really can abuse the tyre as well. So no point in blaming the manufacturer of the tyre if you're taking that product and not using it correctly. But on their front suspension geometry, they've, they say again, James Allison said, that they've stiffened up some parts of it. They probably had a little bit of movement last year somewhere. And they needed to sort of address that situation by you know, maybe beefier front wheel bearings or bigger diameter front wheel bearings or a different hub, hub assembly. Something, something simple and, and cheap, really, to, to stiffen up that thing. Because you, what you want to do is make sure everything is where you think it should be. But one of the novel things on the front suspension is, again, this um, steering lock ride height solution. Um, if you look at the Mercedes pushrod, it's, it's very short. It attaches to the upright a long way in from the the pivot points of the upright assembly. And that means that the front of the car will go up and down the steering lock quite a lot. And it will also transfer weight across the chassis. So all of that can be to help the tyre, just that little bit from low speed to high speed um, corners, getting the balance right. 
So, um, yeah, they've gone, they've looked closely at that and, you know, will it be beneficial, will it not be beneficial? I think we all know that aerodynamics dominate the real performance of any car. Um, so you've just got to make sure that all the rest of the stuff doesn't neg- neglect that extra performance that you get from the aerodynamics. Everything counts, but some things just count more than others. This tighter packaging at the rear is a, the feature of every car. I guess that's a, a consequence of the, the, the rule stability. Mercedes seems to be no exception in this regard. Tighter packaging at the rear seems to be the, the theme for 2020. Every car we've got out there has, has given it a squeeze around the gearbox area. If you can squeeze in the gearbox area, you can then squeeze in the cook bottle area. You can allow uh, more airflow through inside the rear wheels to the bodywork, between the rear tyre and the bodywork. And, you know, that, that just is a bit of a plus-plus because it's that area, the airflow getting through there and being pulled through there by this low-pressure area behind the rear tyres uh, that sort of works on the whole car. I mean, that makes sure the airflow in the rest of the car is coming from the areas that it, it wants to. So it's been pulled around all those um, undercuts and coke balls. It's been pulled across all those turning vanes and stuff. You can't force air to go somewhere um, because it just blocks up and stops, but you can't suck it somewhere. So the rear of the car is critically important to that. The Mercedes seem to have done something new on the rear suspension. They've packaged it differently by the look of it. All I can see really is the push rod, or the pull rod, sorry. The pull rod uh, goes more into the gearbox at sort of 90 degrees to the rear axle line, um, whereas like if you compare it to the Red Bull, the Red Bull uh, pull rod goes in you know, a long way forward of the axle centre line, as does the as does the McLaren, as does the Ferrari. So, you know, they've got their damper units and spring units quite well forward in the gearbox. It looks like Mercedes have them quite well back. So interesting things there, just that's all to reduce the blockage and try to get the, the maximum airflow through between the tyre and the bodywork. How much change do you expect from the car between now and Australia based on what James Allison has talked about? I think that depends on how it hits the ground. And it depends even more on how the others hit the ground. I'm sure there's a development plan in place that's ticking along merrily in the background. Every team has that because, you know, they know they're going to have to plan something. It takes time to research and develop it. Then it takes time to manufacture it. So there will be, this car will have been signed off probably, you know, up to a month ago. Um, so basically it's a month out of date immediately. But those things don't happen overnight. So they are researching stuff like that in the wind tunnel and such. And there will be bits going onto the car for Australia. At the moment, it's probably planned to be small bits. Um, but we know that if push comes to shove, Mercedes can very quickly turn those small bits into big bits. Um, they did it last year and they could do it again this year. But as I say, they won't, we won't know really until the car hits the ground and we see what it's like performance wise. So the moment of truth, the overall verdict. You suggested in your written article, which is available on therace.com, that's the hyphen race.com, that maybe it's not enough. But given Mercedes has made a virtue of going its own way and just ruthlessly improving its concept, is the 2020 car really going to be a different story? My overall verdict is a, it's a tricky one. Who am I to question the might of Mercedes? Um, but at the end of the day, I can only look at what I see and... I think that Red Bull and Ferrari um, have made more progress probably than Mercedes. Now, saying that, it's, it's always a difficult thing. Red Bull finished the season pretty pretty strongly last year. Um, they were right up there, basically, as far as competition was concerned. So they don't need to do a huge amount to actually be nip and tuck with Mercedes. Um, and I think they've probably done that. Ferrari really threw away a lot of last year because they made silly mistakes. But at the end of the season, again, they were quick. Um, 
So I, looking at what I'm looking at, I'm hoping that we're going to see a six-car battle at the front, or at least a six-car battle at the front. Um, that's no criticism of, of Mercedes. They can only do as much as they can see, but the other teams had more room for manoeuvre to move forward a little bit, and I think they've uh, they've done that. So I'm quite excited about it because I think it's uh, it's uh, going to be an exciting start to the season. Great stuff from Gary there, as, as usual. He's always very, very hard to please, but the Formula One technical directors never are easy to please that's why they do well and I'm sure Mercedes are are not easy to please which is why they always do so well but Scott we should also talk about about the drivers Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas were both there at the shakedown Uh, Valtteri Bottas got to have the first laps in the car and I think did Lewis have a go later on did they, they both have a bit of mileage that's right yeah and Lewis was saying at the start of the day that he was sort of you're always watching those first laps because it's kind of like, oh, it's, when when's it my go? It's it's quite cool to see. And it's the same for Bottas, but obviously with Lewis is slightly different because it's a six-time world champion. And when you're that successful, you, it is easy to wonder, sort of where does that motivation come from? I guess this year for Lewis is because he's got that chance to, to match Schumacher's title record and, 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 and you know, the, his outright wins record is, is, is achievable as well. So... But it's just quite cool to hear that six-time world champion speaking with the enthusiasm of probably it's probably this. It's not quite the same enthusiasm as you do when I guess it's your first time sitting in an F1 car. But it's quite cool that they they can it can still run away with them at the start of the year because it's season launch, isn't it? Like the shakedowns, the first time behind the wheel. It's a bit different to seeing it in the factory for the first time or the first time you see pictures. It's there in front of you. It's in a garage. It's being fired up. You're taking it onto the track, and even in those early laps on demonstration rubber and with a with a mileage limitation and you're doing all of the shakedown stuff so it's all about systems checks you still get a bit of an idea of what what you're in what you're in for and it seems like it's all smiles why wouldn't it it's it's mercedes so yeah quite quite cool and i'm sure they i'm sure valtteri and lewis made the absolute most of it we did see Mercedes did a little live stream ahead of the, of the first run in which Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas were both in it. And uh, Lewis was asked to comment about some things Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc has been saying. It was a slightly oblique question. I'm not sure what Charles Leclerc has been saying. Maybe you can enlighten us as you're at the Ferrari launch. But I think Max Verstappen made a comment about the fact that basically Lewis Hamilton isn't infallible. And I think Lewis just suggested that uh, he saw commenting on others as a bit of a weakness and he likes to let his, do, let, let his talking be done on the track. So is that just a little bit of... Uh, little bit of early season mind games yeah I think so I know that some people look at this sort of thing and respond in a way of oh well you know you're just sort of playing it up because Max has been asked to comment on Lewis and he has done and now you're going to Lewis and saying oh can you comment on Max and you're you know you're spinning up this this war between them but it isn't like that um you're right I, I don't really I don't really see where Leclerc is supposed to have said anything but you know Max was asked to comment on Lewis and he came back with a fairly feisty comment he, he wasn't being disrespectful towards Lewis by any means but you know he was basically saying I reckon I can beat him in a in the same car, why? Why wouldn't he? That's what any F1 driver would would think. And then Lewis, quite fairly, gets said, "Oh, you know, you've got these young guys snapping at your at your heels. They're sort of talking about you. Um, what do you reckon?" And Lewis is, you know, Lewis has got two options there, hasn't he? He can either answer it in a way that's kind of like, "Well, you know, I'm looking forward to the challenge. See if this old dog can can learn a few new tricks, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Or you can have a bit of fun with it. You can see if you can move the needle, and then you know, get a bit of. Uh, we get a bit of mind games in at the at the start of the year, and that's exactly what he did by saying, "Oh, I think this, uh, you know, it's a sign of weakness. I find it funny, that sort of thing." It's a li- he undermines a little bit the idea that someone could come at him verbally, and it's just it's just an early. Lewis knows he's in for a fight, 
So any points you can score early on, get inside your rival's head, especially when it's a young driver and someone like Max as well, who has those emotional flare-ups. And, you know, Lewis has been around been around the block a few times, hasn't he? He hasn't had this kind of war since Rosberg, really, inside the Mercedes team in 2016. So I'm sure Lewis is absolutely gunning for a fight. But yes, as I said, he's been in this situation before. He knows if you do need to score those points, why not get him in before the season's even started? And he's relishing it as well because he knows how good Leclerc is. He knows how good Verstappen is as well. So I think he really wants to go toe-to-toe with him and uh, that that's part of his his motivation. All those, all those top drivers have a great deal of respect for each other and every now and again they'll throw a little bit of a thing in for a bit of, bit of pageantry and a little bit of fun. I don't think it's uh, the be-all and end-all, but, uh, but, but why not? Why not? So... What do you think? Have, have we seen the uh, the twenty twenty championship winning car today? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a hell of a question throwing me. You put me on on the spot there. <laughs> for any for any podcast listener that thinks sometimes we rehearse these questions and answers, I think the fact that I am currently uh, stalling like hell trying to think of an answer shows that um, we do get caught caught out sometimes. Um, I think based on the evidence of the last six seasons and the fact that the aero rules are stable and the fact that Mercedes only had a few weaknesses left and does seem to be addressing the right areas rather than sort of proceeding as normal. I would say that it's very, very encouraging signs for Mercedes, but they were always going to start the season with a target on their back. It'll be interesting to see what happens in testing. As we've said a few times, not going to trust really what comes out of Ferrari after last year because they they misjudged it themselves. But also there isn't going to be the same sort of leap forward from, from Mercedes this time round because they're not going to do the trick of last season of of bringing a whole new car to the to the second test because last year it made sense there was a there you know with the rule with the aero rule changes you 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 bring you bring a sort of baseline car then you bring your updates you refine it further for australia and suddenly you're away and that changes quite dramatically in the few weeks before you sh- between you showing the car and then you actually racing it in australia the 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 version that we see on the grid in oz is going to be a lot more similar to the launch spec than this time 12 months ago. So testing is going to give us a slightly more accurate reading than last year, I think. But I would be lying if I said anything other than I'm expecting Mercedes to go there, tick all the boxes early on and set out their stall for the season. I think Red Bull and Ferrari are likely to start the season chasing at, at Mercedes. Obviously, it would be fantastic if if it was if it was different. What? How amazing would it be if, if Red Bull go to Australia and win? Because we haven't seen that um, for for a very long time. But I would imagine if you're going to pick any of these three cars that we've seen this week from Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull, if you were, if you were just going to say, okay, is that the title winner? Uh, all like logic and sense sort of points to. Mercedes is the is the sensible bet there isn't it yeah well you always look for reasons why it shouldn't continue to be the way it's been and there's been no big changes this year so at this stage with very very little very very little data to go on you have to say that's kind of the uh the the standard prediction it it sort of has to be but that's always the case but still it's good to see the car and thanks very much Scott Mitchell for your insights Uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you later in launch season Uh, as mentioned we'll also be doing podcasts on the new Alfa Tori and the Alfa Romeo cars probably over the weekend Uh, we want to make sure they get our full attention rather than being that afterthought I'm off to the Alfa Tori event now which I think you can also see online do check out therace.com that's the the hyphen race.com for all the coverage from there and all the other launches, including Gary Anderson's technical analysis. We'll be back soon for more of F1's launch season.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.